This is the Self-Taught or Not podcast with Dylan Israel and Eric Hanchett, where we teach you the do's and don'ts of software development from two software development professionals, one self-taught and one not. Hey, yo, hey there. So in this episode of Self-Taught or Not, we're going to try something a little different. So we're going to mix it up. We're going to spice it up. Uh, I'm going to lead the conversation here. And what we're going to talk about is some common idioms, common things that we hear that are advice for software developers in our industry. So I think you probably heard of a lot of these. And I'm going to try a different approach. I think because me and Dylan pretty much agree on uh, 95% of things, <laughs> I'm going to take the devil's advocate route. So I'm going to argue for the other side uh, just to make this conversation a little more spicy and talk about why you may want to think of the other side. So I think this will be interesting uh, because we're going we're gonna to kind of hit all sides of these topics. And just for everyone that's listening, I haven't told Dylan these topics yet. So he, I have no idea how he'll respond. I have a, an idea of how he will respond. So I'm assuming he'll probably take the side. I'm, I'm assuming he will. And then I will probably take the other side just to see how it goes. Yeah, the old uh, surprise podcast. So we'll see how it goes. We'll have our topics from the window to the wall um, <laughs> to the knowledge off my brow or something. I don't know. Uh, so top your head. Yeah. So we'll see how this plays out. And, and I have picked Dylan the perfect time because he has gone through a crazy, crazy week at his work and he's transitioning and moving, uh, transitioning as in from one job to the other. So <laughs> this is the perfect time to grill him on these things. Yeah. Not as in a, um, physical sense. Um, <laughs> no, it, emotionally, You've been emotionally. Uh, I think we've all been emotionally transitioning in 2020 of some sort. Yep. Okay. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So I think we're just going to dive into this and see where we come up with. Uh, let's start with an easy one that uh, we may even both agree. Um, maybe even play the devil's advocate. I might. You might be playing the devil's advocate too. But soft skills versus human skills. Soft skills slash human skills. Some people don't like the word soft skills, and they call it human skills. So these are like skills that we have every day from like uh, how you interact with people, your empathy. Um, this often comes, this term often comes up during interviews. And uh, something that I've heard a lot of people say is that soft skills are more important than technical skills during your interview. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say that that's not true. I think that if at most, and then I'll let Dylan respond here, um, I think at most they are equal. Obviously, someone that is very empathetic that you want to get around uh, along with is important during an interview. It's important to kind of suss out who is is a good employee or not. There's a lot of Every, I think every interview I've ever gone through in my career, there is definitely a, a section where I've been grilled on how I would react in different scenarios and what would I do in this scenario and th that scenario. And I would always say those are very important, yes. Like, you don't, we never want to hire someone that's an uh, you know, evil, bad person or that has an ego or someone that we can't get along with. But this overemphasis on soft skills and human skills, I feel, is detrimental to new developers getting into the industry. They somehow think that just being, you know, having a good personality and being able to answer these questions and having the soft skills is is all they need. And that's truly not, uh, at least in my experience, 
how things go at all. I mean, usually beyond the how can I, you know, how how good of a person you are, the technical skills is what makes or breaks almost every technical interview I've had. If I can't answer the questions, if I can't do the algorithms, if I can't do the whiteboarding, if I can't do the take-home test, I don't get the job. So I think this overemphasis of soft skills and human skills is not is is uh is overblown. Um yeah, I mean I tend to agree, but I, I will say that at the end of the day, I think when you're interviewing, everyone's going to have the technical skills. Like you're not gonna get hired without the technical skills, right? However, you may be able to do a uh, poor job on some of the technical items if they like you. And I don't mean like, oh, like based off of race or religion, but if they can be like, hey, I here's Dylan. Dylan seems like he'll be easy to work with and someone that I'd want to work with in the sense of like that they can communicate well. And, you know, one of the things I think about our YouTube channels and even this podcast, for instance, is that people actually get to see if they go that far us as people, right? We're not just a piece of paper and demonstrating some of those soft skills. And when you come off as someone who's super introverted or, um, you know, can't make eye contact and it's just like the, you know, your confidence is low. It's something that, you know, as employers, they look at that and they say, can I leave this person to their own devices? And so is there, you know, is our soft skills more important than technical skills? No, I wouldn't say that, but I would say that they will make or break you. Playing devil's advocate here again, I might say this a few times. I would say that judging someone's character and and judging who they are based on a 30-minute interview or a 20-minute quiz, it can not be as what's the word it could be fraught full of biases so you may talk you you might have three people interview the same person and have three different people give three different outcomes on how what they think that person's personality is if they like them or not some people just have preconceived notions some biases that they can't overcome that sometimes they don't even realize they come that they have so unless of course that's an extreme in their just a total a-hole to everybody, there's a lot of gray area when you talk to people. And there's been studies, like if you are a better looking person, if you are attractive, you have a much easier time uh, in life. Uh, not much easier in all instances, but a lot of times employers will hire the more attractive person. Um, if you're on the spectrum, if you have autism or you're autistic and you can't look people in the eye, that's like a common thing of people on the spectrum when they talk then you will be perceived like you're not confident or that you have a problem when it might be just you you know you might have beyond the spectrum uh, it's it's it seems like if you judge people uh if, by the character it's people are aren't very good judges all the time on the other hand i would say technical skills can be more easily judged because there is usually a correct or wrong answer. So if you give someone an algorithm type interview, even though people dislike them, at the end of the day, it's easy to judge how well they did is if because you can tell if they even solved the problem. Or if you give them a take-home test, you can judge them by the quality of the code that they wrote. Did they uh, get all the details in? Things like that. So once again, I, I think there's some gray areas here about judging people and 
and how well we judge people versus technical skills. Yeah, and I don't think anyone's saying that you go to an interview and they're like, yo, in 30 minutes, I'm going to know this dude's life uh, and what he, who he is as a person. But to a degree, I mean, that's what an interview is about. It's about making judgments about whether or not someone would be a good fit for the team and the the organization. And it's not always about the tech. There's plenty, plenty of brilliant dudes that are super toxic. They'll bring your organization down. And there's plenty of very good communicators that are great to work with that will write some shit code. And that's okay if that's what you're looking for. But part of an interview process is to weed people out. And if you're using as part of your criteria, a bit of, you know, of the communication, soft skills, people skills, whatever the hell we want to call them, then that's just what's being used to weed them out. And you're going to miss some good candidates and you're going to get rid of some really bad ones. And I don't think anyone's ever going to have a perfect interview process, but I also don't think we're going to be in a place where we're not going to have a technical interview of sorts and we're not going to have a soft skills interview of sorts as well. That's, that's a good point. All right. That, that's a good topic. Let's, uh, let's move on. I'll let you have the last word on that one. So let's talk about another common idiom that we hear. And uh, I, this is kind of interesting. This is another one I think we might agree somewhat on. We'll meet in the middle. Once again, as, as if I'm playing a devil's advocate, you can be really good at your software developer job and only be doing it for the money. So this goes to the point that that there's a lot of people getting into this industry and a lot of people are doing it just for the money. And there's some of those software developers that are fairly good. But I think, and this is my devil's advocate view, that if you don't have passion for your job, and I'm going to equate that to same thing as um, you're just doing it for the money because it assumes that people who do things for money aren't necessarily passionate. We'll, we'll say that they're not passionate that it's hard to reach the high levels of that job and be really fully committed and do a really good job if you are only doing it for the money. You know, I was actually talking about this on a live stream in a weird way where, um, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. It can buy fun. But like, you know, being alone in a Lamborghini isn't as much fun as having somebody in your Civic with you. It's kind of the analogy um, I gave. And I know for me, the only time there's ever a happiness gain was going from poverty to about like 70,000 where I paid all my bills and all that sort of stuff. And like, yeah, that's going to be a much better mental health state because now you're not worried and living paycheck to paycheck and whatnot. But as my salary has increased, um, you know, significantly further from that, it's been, there hasn't been any additional happiness things. I can buy nicer things and eat out more often and save a little bit for the future. And that'll be nice. But happiness, I don't really correlate happiness with money. Um, I correlate it with fun, which is a different thing entirely. But I think you can have a good career and just look at it from a professional sense. Do I think you'll, you'll go, do I think you'll be happy? I don't think so. I think you have to really find something that you're looking for. And I also think this is why this is just one of the many reasons why people are um, a little bit anxious, stressed and depressed in our field. And we have higher, you know, higher um, negativity in, in the field because people do go into it for the money because it is a good field to go into for money and a career path. But um, you also then see a lot of people change their careers from, you know, 
dev to maybe go and become a BA or a scrum master that used to be ex devs because they find out that, you know, they're five years in as a senior dev now. And they're like, God, could, can I do this another 25, another 20? And then they, they go, no, I can't. And they have to figure out a way to, you know, maybe move into management or whatever else the next endeavor is going to be. Let, let's deconstruct that a little bit even more. I mean, you're kind of equating happiness with money. And if you go into something for just the money, doesn't necessarily you'll be happy doing it. But what about job performance? Do you think you can be a really good software developer if you're only doing it for the money? And maybe we have to define good. I mean, someone that would be one of the software developers are top of their field that are, you know, spending time outside of work learning kind of like how you and me did it. I mean, do you think that's what do you think about that? I mean, I think there's a lot of brilliant people that can be good at a lot of different things if they put their time, effort, or energy into it. Um, do I think it's harder? Yeah, it's harder to do things. That's why when I tell people to learn to code, when you get to a point where like you're stuck on something, move on to something else because you're going to start hating it. And if you keep it fun, you'll keep learning. I kind of feel the same way about this. Is it possible? Sure. Is it unlikely? Yes. I really do think that in order for people to continue to enjoy being a software engineer be, be a good one and a great one and then even better one it's gonna take you to want to it, you're gonna have to like this stuff or you'll you know stagnate and that's fine like uh, there's nothing wrong with that but there's i mean i've, I've worked with enough software engineers probably about a hundred devs i've worked with in, in my four years and i can tell you that about 95 percent of them don't have aspirations of getting better in the sense of like, they just think it's going to happen over time. They're not going to um, continue to to grow. And that's not their goal. Their goal is to have a steady paycheck and to work as a software engineer. And that's different than what I think you're asking, which is going to the next level of as a developer. And I think to do that, you have to have some options in life. And you also have to have a mentality, but more than anything else, you have to enjoy it. Otherwise, you know, cause why, why are you trying to become an excellent dev? If it's just money that can motivate you to a point, but sort of why I talked about it earlier is money is nice and it's some form of a motivator, but it's not, it's not going to increase your happiness level, at least not, not once you're out of like a, a dire situation. Yeah. This is an interesting topic because I think there's, there's a couple ways that you can think about it. I like to think about it. The you're right. So if you you there's plenty of software developers who've both met who are career software developers. You can imagine they like their job but not necessarily love it, and they are maybe doing it just for the money. And I think we could probably point to some people like that. But to achieve mastery or practice to the point where you know, you you are doing really, really well. It, I think it becomes much more rare to find an individual who's doing it just for the money, who's putting in tons of extra time to really hone and, and get better at their craft. They're listening to podcasts. They're listening to people like us, everybody that everybody's listening right now. Give yourself a pat on the back. You're, you're one of the minority, I would say, uh, just because not, not a ton of people take this much interest in their craft and their experience and their, their world. So if you're if you're one of those people, it's really really hard to not like what you're doing, but to put all this time in. I think Malcolm Gladwell had a book called um, uh, Blink, but he also had a few a book about he talks about ten thousand hours. Like 
he has this assumption that if you put 10,000 hours of practice into something, you can achieve a certain level of mastery in it. And I would say that it would be very difficult for a person that doesn't like their job to achieve any sort of mastery in it. Because unless you would just insanely have that, I, I just don't see it very often, I guess is what I'm going to say. Yeah, and I, I think it's also important to, to to make note that there's nothing wrong with not being super passionate and not wanting to progress your career and just taking, you know, t- taking at it, whatever, however it comes. Um, it's not the approach that I've taken. And part of the reason is, I, you know, I fell in love with software and, you know, I, I want to always enjoy it, which is... Um, why I'm always trying to get better and trying to progress my career. Cause I think that's something that, you know, I keeps me, keeps it fun, keeps it exciting. Like someone came into my live stream the other day and asked me what my exit plan from software is. I was like, I, I don't have one. Like, I mean, at some point finance, I'll have financial for, you know, freedom, but my plan is simply to keep progressing as fast as possible. And if I can do that, then, my, you know, every couple of years of getting a promotion or a change or whatever, it, you know, uh, increase my skill level, then it's staying fun and exciting. And um, I think that's, it's worth mentioning that it may not be for everybody in that aspect. And, and it's okay to look at things as just a job. I like to look at it as sort of a career and a craft. And I, I don't think there's any judgments there. I just want to make that clear. Yeah, we don't want to j- shame you for not spending 500 hours a week on side projects and learning new programming languages that you've never heard of before just to feel like you're uh, you need to be at the top of your field that's not necessarily true and also we'll have to say too that part of becoming a good software developer is just not you know listening to podcasts and and uh, writing projects outside of work I mean you can do a lot of things inside your own work you can do a lot of analysis you can be that leader at your own company you can be the person that insists that you do code reviews when no one is doing code reviews or that you fix bad parts of the software base. I mean, there's ways of being better at your craft that doesn't necessarily mean you need to spend every waking hour outside of your work. Let's move on to another topic. Do you have any last parting parting thoughts on that one? Yeah, yeah. Um, It's worth also mentioning that your passion may overtake aspects of your life. I've said this before that I think my passion for software and working too much has killed previous relationships. So um, something to keep in mind and keep in check. Okay, this is a good one. And I think I've hinted about this in previous seasons. And I, I'm i actually, I'm not sure where I land, but I'm going to take the contrarian view. I'm going to say imposter syndrome. So this is what I'm going to argue against. Imposter syndrome is common for all software developers and will happen throughout your career. The way I say that is that I think imposter syndrome has been a a way overused term for the last few years, that everybody that has any little anxiety when they jump into a project thinks that they have imposter syndrome, which is not true. Imposter syndrome is more of of a feeling where you feel like you're a fraud and it's something deeply psychological that happens to people and that people are now using this term whenever they feel like they don't know what they're doing and they don't necessarily feel like a fraud. And I think that people who do say they have that maybe truly do have this problem because it does exist. If they say they're having, I, I was on a podcast once and one guy's like, how do you guys have imposter syndrome? And I think one person said, yeah, I get it every now and then. And another person, 
Uh, I, they went to me and I said, nope, I, I, I feel like maybe the beginning of career, I had a, a, f- a few of those feelings, but I, I don't often get that now. And if I do, I, it's, I feel like it's more just anxiety or anxiousness or, you know, you know, I just don't know something and I'm getting frustrated. And then the third person in the panel went and they literally said, yeah, I get it every single day. And I'm thinking, okay, this is me playing devil's advocate. I'm thinking if you're getting, if you're getting imposter syndrome, <laughs> if you're getting imposter syndrome every single day of your career, of your life, you need to go see a therapist because there is something wrong there. You shouldn't be feeling it every day, all the time. Um, because then there's something psychologically wrong with that. And I feel like if that is your life, then you need to go see a therapist. You need to get, get some help because that could be debilitating. Like if everything you do, you feel like I don't belong here, I shouldn't be here, that's going to be very psychologically damaging. I mean, that's definitely true. And we've talked a, quite a bit in the past about mental health of software engineers being you know worse than the average you know career person. And about their stress and anxiety being higher and all that sort of stuff. And I think part of it's being sort of introverts and part of it is that it's um, male dominated and men stereotypically suffer with communication and opening up and things like that, myself included. Um, And so, you know, if you don't talk about it, we're sort of at least, you know, Eric and I's generation is sort of told to um, if you have a problem with your feelings, you swallow it and just die early. And so it's uh, hopefully we can sort of disperse that a little bit. But um, I think think we're going to die early. We're dying early. Sorry, Eric. Sorry to break the news. My wife told me that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, we have uh, we have life insurance for our loved ones, so that's okay. (laughs) So, uh, but um, but no, seriously, I think um, I think I think you're onto something, though. I I generally think that sometimes we uh, we mislabel things as imposter syndrome when really what it is is just stress and anxiety about it. And, you know, I I don't remember who I was dating at the time, but a, a girl I was dating at, uh, recently said, hey, um, you know, the thing about depression, it's being sad about the past and anxiety is being afraid of the future. And, you know, as I, as I think about this imposter syndrome, that anxiety comment, really starts to make sense to me as to why a lot of developers, you know, say, you know, imposter syndrome, because it is kind of a catch-all. And I think a lot of it is, there is some like, hey, you know, I just started my career and I really don't feel like I know anything. And I don't, you know, I just feel like next day they're going to fire me. Like, that's a real thing. I think a lot of people do that, especially because like, if you're going from making $10 an hour to $40 an hour, and you feel like you have no idea what you're doing, it's hard to adjust to that. But I think generally speaking, it's mainly just stress and anxiety. And it's, um, I think it's something that we have to do a better job at as sort of a, a field in general. Yeah, I think everybody needs to, I mean, as software developers, I don't, you're right. I don't think we've, you don't hear too often talked about like the emotional stress that we go through. And I, I think I read a survey and I, was, I think I said this in a previous podcast where there's a lot of software developers who transition out of this field after a few years, 10, 15 years, either they go to management or they go to a completely different field because it does we get, it does get a little stressful. Um, and it can be, there's always something you need to learn. There's always a new technology. So what would, I mean, to that point, I agree. If we if if you and I sat here right now and said, "Hey, by 2022, we got to get out. Dog, we got one year. 
and change to we can't do software anymore. What, what's that look like for you? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought of that. Me neither, Eric. And it's <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't have any plans to, but there's few jobs that pay this well as a two-time college dropout. Let me tell you, I'm like, when I, I got to go back to school, I don't want to go back to school, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm going. I think I'm going to a trade school. If that's me. <laughs> Trade school is good. You know, also maybe management. I think you would be a good manager. I think both of us could definitely be good managers of maybe, guess whoever, maybe Fortune 500 company that would need us. Yeah, reach out, people. (laughs) If you see me start losing my hair, I'm at my point of uh, like, damn, man, Dylan's going gray pretty quickly. Um, That's that's the time to reach out. All right, okay. Let's take a look. Let's 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 throw another one in here. Okay, I did a, this one I actually sort of agree with, but I can see both sides and I actually did a YouTube video on this. It was a little clickbaity, a little controversial, but so the the topic I'm going to go against is you should create a rich portfolio of websites before you start applying as junior developer and it's something you should always do. <clears throat> so my thought process is that Junior developer jobs uh, are are not there's not a ton of them out there, and the ones that are out there do get many resumes. And the HR managers of those places are not they do not have the time nor the patience to look through everybody's resume, look through their projects, go to the websites, look through the githubs. So it's very difficult for that to be any sort of criteria when a resume is received. Later on in the interview process, if let's say you were picked out of that interview process, when you're actually talking to someone and the hiring manager has 20 people they have to interview in the next two weeks, once again, it's very difficult for a hiring manager to look beforehand of your interview, look at your portfolio, look at your GitHub, and to do that, at least in many places I've worked at, that wasn't a concern. And then also for the people, the the few hiring managers that do do that, I think that code that you look on someone's website or someone's GitHub isn't a really good representation of what they've actually worked on. And we don't know if they just copy and pasted that code from somewhere else. I definitely have lots of really badly written code in my GitHub repo. So that's one thing to consider that you may be looking at code that was written three months ago or three years ago, and they might be very different. It's really hard to gauge someone's skills by just looking at uh, some code that's on their repos. And then um, I I think what uh, some hiring managers do is that they're really looking for if you have passion outside of your job uh, and are you passionate about web development. And just like Dylan and me, we neither one of us had portfolios when we got into the industry, but we had YouTube channels. We had be taught courses. There's so many ways of showing that you have passion in this industry. You could create a blog or honestly, sometimes when I've interviewed people, I've just asked them like, what are you passionate about? And they'll be like, they, we get into conversation about UFC or skiing. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Like you really, that's like one of your hobbies that you really like that you really um, deep dive into and you know, all the details. Heck someone I interviewed once and they talked to me about star Wars and that, they knew all the different Star Wars lore. They knew, um, they knew which books got 
uh, were canon and which were used to be canon and they weren't canon anymore. And it was just kind of fascinating, fascinating to geek out and listen to someone talk about that. And we didn't talk about code. So I think those are the skills that you should work on. And your time is better spent writing cover letters, sending out, if this is one of your strategies, sending out many different resumes. Sometimes people send hundreds of resumes out. Uh, working on soft skills. We talked about that earlier. Uh, and working on your technical skills so that way you can pass the interview. What say you, Dylan? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you need a super large portfolio by any means. Um, I would always say apply before you think you're ready because chances are you are. Um, a lot of times people think I'm joking when I say if you can reverse a string, you can probably pass the average junior technical interview. Um, and that, you know, I've done enough of these things that um, I've done enough interviews that a lot of people don't pass that for some reason. Um, so like you're often ready for a junior level role significantly sooner than you believe you are. I also think that you don't need a hundred projects and you don't need anything. You just have one. That's all that really matters. You know, if you have something that can just showcase that like, yeah, I'm coding. Um, you know, it's, um, I remember, you know, one thing I, I do do is I see, you know, Oh, okay. We're interviewing someone for a junior level role. Do they code? Well, I don't, how do I know they code? Well, do, do they have a blog? Do they have a YouTube channel? Like forget the code they actually have on their GitHub. I'm not going through their projects. Did they push anything up in the last couple of you know, months? What What's going on? Um, but I think it's good to go and apply early, even if, you know, it may not really be early to kind of see where you stand. Even if you don't get a ton of interviews, at least you'll get some idea of where you're, what's working, what's not working. But, um, you know, I, I the, the second thing that came to mind as you were talking is we have this, it's, it's almost toxic to a degree. And, you know, the, and I kind of s- talked about this a little bit earlier about like, not everyone has to be super passionate and it's kind of jacked up that for a junior level role, it, the expectation is that you're just super passionate about software. And I don't know, it, it just feels it feels kind of wrong at times where I don't think, I think there's plenty of people who can be good developers that don't need to make this the end all be all of their life. And the fact that as you're going and trying to get your foot in the door, that the expectation is that it is, there's something wrong with that fundamentally. Like it's a great thing and there's nothing wrong with that. But like, I also don't see why we have to work in an industry where hey, we're giving you a shot and you have the skills, but oh, I don't see that you don't do any projects outside of it also. So like, I, I, I don't know. There's just something about that that's rubbed me uh, wrong. And I'm not saying that it's we can fight a battle and change that, but it does seem like something that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, that that is pretty common in our industry that we really look for people that work outside of work. I mean... There's always this analogy, like you don't see doctors or dentists or even plumbers. They're not coming home and watching YouTube videos on plumbing and and the latest ways of to do surgeries and reading up and and doing it on the side projects on on their nights and weekends. We're very in a unique industry where this is something that is almost expected of us. I, I, I tend to agree that it's a little overblown. And I think in the last few years, let me finish my thought there. It's almost expected of software developers to be passionate of their work outside of work. 
and to take it really seriously and to keep learning all the time and, and put all their time and effort into it. So I, I agree with you there that that's maybe a, a bad thing. And I've definitely seen like I've, I've watched Twitter recently and these threads come up every now and then where someone's like, hey, I like to go home and play with my kids or play with my dog and watch Netflix. I don't want to spend three hours on a side project or record a podcast or whatever. It doesn't make me any worse of a developer. And I tend to agree. Yeah, I, I agree. You don't have to be super passionate <laughs> about it. Although going back to our conversation before about passion and being good at your job, there's a certain point to reach a, a level of mastery. You might have to be definitely passionate and really like your job, but it's an interesting topic. I should have put that down on there. That might have been a good one to to riff riff about some more. Well, I guess I'm the one coming up with the surprise topics today, Eric. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, so that's it. But let let's deconstruct that uh, regarding a software interview. So, if we're talking about a, a software interview, how do you gauge someone's passion? How do you get, gauge someone's willingness to learn and put the long hours in, especially if they don't have a portfolio, maybe they are self-taught. Wouldn't looking for those things be very important? Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I mean, I, I definitely think someone who's passionate about software naturally will lead them to be great a great software engineer. And I like I'm not saying that there's no correlation. What I am saying is that it's so hard to get a job as a, a junior developer. Like really I think that's, you know, the way of getting in is very, very difficult for a lot of people. But that there's something toxic about making it a requirement. Like there's plenty of people that they know how to code. They learned in school or a boot camp or something like that. And they have the skills. I think it's easier to get better with those skills and maintain them when you're, when you're you know, you have something that's quote unquote pa showcasing passion, what it, whatever form that may be. But the expectation, I think, is what probably bothers me more than anything else. All right. I have a few more of these. Let me get one more, one or two more in before we wrap this up. Maybe get three more. Let's see. Uh, okay. This this kind of hooks into the what we said before. So I think it kind of dovetails into this last question. So there's this kind of idiom going around that everyone should learn how to code. And the idea being that there's a lot of industries going out of business and that if we had more coders, they make a lot more money. Those people can kind of go from this one career to another career. There's also, that that's one part of this, this sort of, this talk about everyone should learn how to code. That if everyone knew how to code, it would be a great way of people to get better jobs. So if you're working at a cashier at Albertsons, you can learn how to code, you can make hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's also this idea of everyone should learn how to code that it should be an integral part of school curriculum. That anyone that goes to a, in the United States high school or K, maybe even starting grade school, K1 through seven or middle school, that there should be uh, classes on learning how to code and that coding should be a, a good skill that everyone should learn because it he teaches problem solving or learning to code. And I will say that there that, uh, that that that's not necessarily the case. If we're trying to teach our students how to problem solve, then there's better ways of teaching our students how to problem solve. There's definitely 
We could make it mandatory for every student in high school to take a speech and debate class. That is a, probably a better way of teaching people problem solving. We can have people take personal finances. We can make sure that they have a curriculum where they're taking uh, certain math classes where you have to do a lot of different types of problem solving and understanding those things. Those might be better ways of teaching people how to problem solve if that's our goal. It's also to say, it's also ridiculous to tell someone that might be in their 40s or 50s that have worked as a, I don't know, a person in a factory, a line worker in a factory that now that they should learn to code. And that's how they're going to uh, solve all their problems, that they're going to have time, especially a lot of these people who are working paycheck to paycheck, even have time to um, you know, take online classes or spend hours and hours online to learn how to code and, and change their careers. And that that's some way, somehow a, a better way of doing things. And there's also, I would say, um, to one last point on why not everyone should learn how to code, is that coding is not for everyone because it's a very lonely passion. <laughs> it's, uh, it's usually, you do have a number of you do talk to people, but usually you're in front of a computer eight hours a day. You're not outside at all. Uh, usually you're working alone most of the time. It does take a certain uh, skill set to this certain type of prob problem solving skill set that you need to do it. Uh, it's as we told, we've talked about before, it, it, people do burn out all the time in, in development and programming. And it's very hard to get into right now. There's thousands of junior developers trying to get jobs, and there's not enough jobs for them all. Yeah, it's kind of disrespectful, isn't it? <laughs> to be like, hey, you know, I'm worried my job's getting automated. Uh, all right, well, learn to code. <laughs> so it's, um, I mean, I, I think, yeah, there's probably, I, I mean, is it good advice? Sure, I, I guess, all right. Like people, you know, people who are looking to have a good solid career that isn't going to be automated anytime soon and make good money and has good job growth. Yeah. Software is great. Um, is it for everybody? Absolutely not, man. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I love it. I'm not even sure it's for me. So like, <laughs> it's like one of those things where is it, it's definitely not for, it's definitely not for anybody who considers themselves an extrovert. It's also, you know, definitely not for people who who are maybe they don't um they're more of uh they, they like working with their hands more it's a very sort of thinking man's job at, at the end of the day uh so people who want to be intellectually stimulated purely intellectually stimulated i guess would probably be a better way of putting that um and there's a lot of other ways if you're trying to transform your life um you know i the it's I don't know. It's, it's, it's sort of strange. Like I, to ask somebody to, it's, it's so hard to transition your, your life anyhow, in any direction, especially later on in life when you sort of have established your skills. Like if someone asked me today, like, Hey, if you never coded at 33, could you go and, and learn it? I was like, I could, but I, I still feel like it'd be significantly harder than it was at 28. And that's just five years. And now ask somebody who's 45, 50, not saying it's not possible, but I'm saying that life demands more of you as you grow old, older, you know, with marriages and kids and parents are getting older and, you know, you want to, you know, maybe you're willing to sacrifice 
different things earlier on in your life that you just don't have the option of sacrificing later on. Um, and so I, I think it's when people are saying learn to code, they're saying to people who are, they've had their established careers and their lives and they've been uprooted and to just tell people to go and tell them this is the magic bullet. There's not a magic bullet for anything. It's, it's just somewhat disrespectful. What do you think about schools teaching kids how to code as a problem solving exercise? I mean, I, I personally think that there's a lot of classes we could get rid of, get rid of at schools that um, we could put in some more practical things. So I've, I, I look at schooling similar to how I look at um, colleges. Like they have a fluff issue of nonsense and if we remove some of that nonsense and put in some more practical things, I think we could do, we could, we could, I, I think we need, to, I th so I think schools need to make people more life and job ready, life ready, meaning that you have a better understanding of taxes, how to properly invest, um, coding, like, like by the time we hit high school, we've probably learned the majority of what we need to learn, how to read and write. And like, we've learned about, you know, how many times we're going to do American history, right? Like, Okay. Like I, so in those four years, if we went over more career related things, life related things, and even just did a six month, you know, or a quarter introduction to various industries, we'd have some people that would graduate high school and have a better idea of where they want to go. Cause right now I think a lot of people just go to college and sort of, you know, dick around because this is what they're supposed to do, you know, quote unquote supposed to do. Um, and, people don't really know. Sometimes they just go, they do their general ed and think it's going to happen. Um, well, I think if we expose people to things that could start building skills that maybe they would find what works for them earlier on. So somewhere out there, Dylan, is your future baby mama. And there are going to be one day. Singular. I, I feel like. Singular. We're only trying to have one. Did you, did, did you say baby or babies? <laughs> ba right. ba baby okay baby mama okay that will now will conceive a future dylan a little mini dylan and dilia um, running around We're, assuming that will happen what what are you would you teach your kids how uh, how to code and would you encourage them to go to college um you know and we're, and we're going to replay this to your future kids when they're 20. Yeah. You know, I think, so I think if I'm, if I know myself well, that I'll probably still be coding when I have children on side projects here or there. And I'd like to think that if I look like I'm having fun, my kids would be interested in it. And if they ask to learn, I would teach them because I, you know, I'd, who doesn't want to share their passions with their friends and family. Right. So like, even now as I go on dates, I don't talk about software because it gets real dry, real old to people who don't care about it. Um, even though I could talk about it all day. Um, but you know, so if they show an interest, yeah. Um, if they're interested, but I'd rather, I'd rather my time, effort and energy go into exposing them to a variety of things and then allowing them, you know, I say, okay, son, okay, daughter, you know, this summer we're going to learn, you know, coding next summer, we're going to take you to a, um, you know, some sort of 
uh, basketball boot camp or like what, you know, just exposing them to a whole bunch of things and whatever they gravitate towards supporting them. in. Um, I'd probably take a similar stance with college. Um, you know, uh, I, I would prefer, and I think long-term my kids go and be successful outside of college. Cause I think, I think there's, I think it's how you, there's success and then there's like mega success. And like, if you're able to create something on your own, then, you know, college is nothing more than just a vehicle for people to say that you were able to go through college. Um, but it really depends on, on my kids, I guess. Uh, so am I going to support them? Sure. Um, luckily, hopefully if every, if everything plays out, I'll be able to pay for college, um, out of pocket so they don't have to have student loans and whatnot. But, uh, if they if they let me let me put this way they come to me and say hey i want an art history major i said go on youtube that'd be my that'd be be my response (laughs) you heard it here first that's great that's great we will have to see what happens yeah you know as someone who has two kids right now i will say though those questions happen almost from the day they're born (laughs) like you're like oh okay so are they going to go to college if so, should we contact a financial advisor? There's a whole bunch of a whole bunch of ways that you can save for your kids' education today, for tomorrow, and you can almost do it from the day they're born. And then, so we've been thinking about that too, uh, how we're going to pay for it, how we're going to do it. Um, we're hoping that things go well. We did not we to put that out there. We did not create one of those funds that you put in money for your college. I should for your kids college education. I should say that I don't even know that I would pay for college. Um, I would, whether I could or couldn't, I somewhat would probably, you know, one of the things I think crippled me early on in my young adulthood was I got a little bit of money from my dad every month to sort of offset the, my cost of living. And that was contingent upon me going to school and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think, I think if I didn't have that, I would have made the choices earlier that would have made me that have helped me be successful in, in the ways that I have been lately. And so there's a there's a fairly good chance that um, if my kids go to college, even if I'm multimillionaire sort of status uh, by then, I, I may not pay for it. They may have to grind through student loans on their own because I think that's it. I, I, I think you start you're starting to give people adult decisions and you have to live with good and bad consequences of adult decisions. So I'm not sure I might even pay for it. That's a good question too. I have had, I have friends that say they won't pay for their kids college. And then I have some friends that will, and then friends, some friends, kids are just so smart. They get scholarships and everything for it. I think there is, if, if social media has taught me anything there has, it feels like there is a, definitely a movement in the United States. I don't know for anyone listening outside the United States that they're trying to lower the costs of higher education. They're trying to figure out ways of even forgiving student loan debt for certain people. Um, I have a feeling that when our kids are in college, it's going to be more affordable, maybe. Um, so there may be these questions. Maybe I'm just being naive. Yeah, you're, dude, you're smoking rocks right now. Dude. <laughs> if you think college is going to be more affordable in 10 years. Oh my goodness. Now the demand for college may go down just because I think, I think we're kind of getting to a point where we, you know, for the last 30, 40 years, it's a degree. You have to have a degree. You're going to be a crackhead on the street and people are starting to realize that there's other paths 
especially with tech taking off and sort of, I think being a major player in the fact that like you don't have to have a degree or even a relevant one at the very least to go and work in, you know, as a software engineer. And that's one of the best fields you can be in. So I, I don't know. I, my, my hope is that maybe the insistence on college goes down and for certain people it works out, but that you see more trade schools and boot camps. And I think, I think we'll see that, but I don't think college and price is going down. I just don't. There hasn't been any evidence that's yeah. going to happen. Like even when you're talking about paying no, off no. student loans, you don't hear anything about how they're going to lower the cost of college. <laughs> you just like, oh, we're just going to cut a check and everyone's student loans are going to be gone. Yeah, maybe that is pretty naive. Yeah, who knows? I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm wishful. I have some wishful thinking You know what happening. they say, hope in one hand and shit in the other and see which one happens first. <laughs> that that that's a good way i think we're gonna wrap this up uh that's a good good way to end oh do you think on that <laughs> do you think becoming a pizza delivery person is a good way to to uh to get your to make money because you okay cause if i remember your story correctly you were a pizza delivery person a little bit out of high school and you did that for a while do you think that was a good career that set you up for learning how to code no, I, I mean, the the only thing that it set me up for was having a, a schedule that was flexible enough to be able to learn. I think it's a fantastic job. And I think any job, I think anybody who's doesn't like go and become a waiter or a, or like a delivery driver, or something with tips is that can work nights and you're trying to go and progress your life and career during the day, it's going to be very hard. Um, so that's the only thing I'd recommend if you guys are out there and you're, you're studying to learn to code and you're working at you know target making minimum wage or Walmart or one of these places go and instead work at one of these places where you'll make tips and double your money, make your life easier and uh, have a little bit more of a flexible schedule. You can also pick up a lot of shifts um, as well. Um, that's the only way I think it ever supported me. We should do an episode on like life hacking, like how, how you can with someone with no, with, no money, no education could like get a job at like, what would be the best thing they can do to start making money right away and learning how to code, assuming that they can't afford to go to college, assuming that they can't afford to go to a boot camp. I mean, we've kind of touched on like resources of what you can use, but it'd be interesting. Like, like where should you work? What are some good careers that you can work while you're studying? Yeah. Uh, what, how do you schedule your things? Should you be dating at that time? Like, <laughs> Or what do you do if you are dating? That'd be an interesting episode. I'm with it, man. I bet you could talk about that. Definitely not dating. I don't do any of that shit, dude. <laughs> All right. I think that's it. Any parting words, advice? Um, just that I appreciate y'all. I appreciate you too. Take care, everybody. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for watching. If you want to find more about what I'm up to, go to dylanisrael.com. And if you want to know what I'm up to, you can check out my website at eric.video. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And if you do, you might even be featured on our next episode. Don't forget to check out the website at selftaughtornot.com. From there, you can sign up for a mailing list where we give away free courses and a bunch of cool stuff. And we'll also let you know when the next episode comes out. And finally, 
If you didn't know, we have a Facebook group. It's called Code Tech and Caffeine. We have over 10,000 members and you can find the link at selftaughtornot.com. So come join us. We have tons of developers willing to help you guys, mentor you guys. Check it out. Just make sure you go to selftaughtornot.com and check out the Code Tech and Caffeine link. Thanks and take care.